Uh, kids, you guys are dismissed. So, I need, you, I need you all to think about your favorite Bible verse, okay? Think about it. Be, everybody kind of have their favorite Bible verse in mind. Hopefully, it's something that maybe you have, you have memorized, okay? Everybody got a Bible verse. All right. You got one? Okay. All right. So, I'm going to be looking for um, two volunteers this morning, um, if... if, if uh, Maybe you'd come up here and you'd just share your favorite Bible verse with the congregation. I need, I need two volunteers. Come on, don't, don't be shy. All right, Alex. Monty, you always raise your hand. I know, Chris raised his hand. Anybody? Uh, anybody? Bailey. Yeah, we got the younger crowd. I was kind of going for the younger crowd this morning. No, no offense back there to you elders. Come on up here. Come on up here. Ladies first? Okay. Just want to, you said that, right? Yep. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, well, Bailey, go ahead and share with the congregation kind of what your, uh, what your favorite uh, verse is. Come on, stay, come to me all who are heavy burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because my yoke upon you and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That one, it's jumbled, but it's in there. That was the message version. We'll, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you in the jumbled ESV and IV version, whatever that was. Well, thank you. Here, here's twenty dollars for you. It's yours. Yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah go have a seat. You're, you're good. Yeah, enjoy it. Go have lunch. You know what? You know what? Yeah, have lunch at ta- have lunch at Taco Bell this today. Yeah. All right, Al. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Wow, you said that very, very well. You know what? I'm going to give you a dollar. I don't know if that'll buy lunch at Taco John's or not, but uh, what's up with that, right? 
What is up with that? Bailey botches the verse, <laughs> has like four or five versions. You really played into this illustration beautifully, thank you, and even more so. She earned that $20, right? Yeah. I'd have still given you the $20 because Al said ladies first. Now, if Al would have just gone ahead and went first, he would have gotten the $20. <laughs> You're ruining my illustration. So we're talking about the justice of God this morning, right? And we all know, as was illustrated, that the world is not always just, right? It doesn't always work out. It's not always fair. I think there's two questions that believers and unbelievers alike both struggle with deeply. One question is this, why do bad things happen to good people, right? You ever struggle with that question? Why do bad things happen to good people, you know? And well, why not? We'll get to the other question here in a second. How about a mom who gets cancer and dies young? You know, as a young man, I'm going, God, that doesn't seem fair. This doesn't make any sense. She loves the Lord with all of her heart. I need her as a mom, you know, or Karen's mom, you know, who struggled with ALS. How many of you, have, how many of you know what ALS does to a person? Here is a godly, godly woman, pastor's wife, who goes through ALS, and we watch her wither away and struggle and lose all of her faculties until, until you get to the point where you, you suffocate and you die. Where's, where's the justice in that? And I think all of us could, could share stories of things that have happened to good people, bad things that have happened to good people. Now, the other question that maybe is even more of a struggle would be, why do good things happen to bad people, right? Have you ever struggled with that? Does it ever seem like the bad people seem to be the ones that get all the breaks in life? It seems like the, the bad people don't necessarily have any struggles. They seem to always have plenty of money. They, they're the ones who get the good jobs. They're the ones, you know, in high school, man, roughest kid in the class got the prettiest girl. What's up with that? It's not fair. And he also got to drive the nice car. He was the guy that had the IROC Z. And... He was the guy that had the cool subwoofer in the back of his car that could boom like when he'd sit at the Dairy Queen. What's up with that? He got a lot of good things that happened to him in life. Why do good things happen to bad people? And these two questions are something that I think we struggle with. If we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with it. But I think underneath these questions is the real issue. And the real issue is this, is that life is not fair. I mean, the problem that bad things happen to good people, well, that's not fair, right? And, and the problem with good things happening to bad people, well, that's not fair. And then you get back to the question, you ask yourself, well, now, who created life? 
God. And so the deeper question is, does that mean that, that God's not fair? Is God just? Does God judge rightly? And I think those are things that we struggle with. Believers and unbelievers alike have a difficult time with this. But you know what? One of the things that we have going for us as believers is that we have a something called a biblical worldview that explains this, that answers these questions. In your outline, you'll see, you'll see a, a timeline there. And um, I want you to imagine this timeline right here, the beginning of eternity over there, all the way to the end, and the future eternity over there. And there's this biblical worldview that gives us insight into the apparent justice, the injustice that, that's taking place in our world today. Genesis 1 and 2, right? Remember how it was in Genesis 1 and 2? Everything's, everything's perfect. There's a perfect environment. Everything's fair. There's an environment where God, loving his people that he's created, he's giving them all the worlds. He's saying to them, be fruitful, multiply. God's having intimate communion with Adam and Eve. And it's a perfect paradise sort of environment. And that's the first two chapters, right, of human existence. But then... We come to this parentheses, right? Parentheses, imagine all of eternity. We talked about how small all of what we're living in here in this time and space reality between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 20 and 20 and through 22 really is. It's a very small dot on a line. But right now, we live in this parentheses. And so in this parentheses, you have sin, you have rebellion. Man rebels against God, and sin enters the world. And with sin comes judgment. And so sin is judged. Mankind is taken out of the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is guarded by the angel with the flaming sword. And so there's a separation, and there's death. But we're confident that this separation is not permanent, is it? And so we have the fall. We, have ourselves, we find ourselves living in a fallen world that's marred by sin. We live in a world that has cancer. We live in a world that has disease. We live in a world that does not, not reflect all of the goodness and all of the purity and all of the holiness of God. We're living in the parenthesis between Genesis and Genesis 3 and Revelation 20. But no, that at, in the end, at Revelation 20, there's another judgment that's coming. We have, the, we have the judgment of Genesis 3, and we will have the judgment of Genesis 20. And guess what? In that judgment, God is going to take all the injustice, all the pain, all the bad things that have happened, all the bad things that have been done to good people, all the good things that have been done to bad people, and he's going to take the scale and he's going to weigh it all out. And we're going to stand before God and be judged according to our works. And so, we live in this parentheses. We need to remember that when we think about 
these questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? God is just. God is fair. But we live in a fallen world. Um, And by the way, (laughs) we don't want God to be just (laughs) and fair in this present parentheses. Just know that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And so there are injustices. Life's not fair. Um, and, and life's, we live in a world where sin dominates. But it raises a question, I think, for us, right? So if we live in this parentheses where things aren't fair, where there's injustice, how do we trust in a God in a fallen world, a God that's just in a fallen world? How can we depend on a God where life doesn't seem fair? How can we learn to think soberly and clearly about what it means inside the parentheses of Genesis 3 and Revelation 20? How do we live in this life of worship uh, of God who is just in the midst of a fallen world? And and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to begin this morning by defining the justice of God. What do we mean when we say justice? And so, definitely, God has always been just. Um, God revealed that through Abraham. You'll remember, remember the story of Abraham? Remember, what ha- remember Abraham's pleading with God? Um, in, Re- in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, you probably know the story, right? Remember what's happening? Lot, the Lot and Abraham separate, way, separate ways. Um, Lot ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here's Lot living amongst a, a sinful, sinful city, right? Lots of, lots of things are happening that get God's attention. God suddenly goes, you know what? This isn't any good. I'm going to wipe out this city. I'm going to execute my justice on this city right now. And he decides to tell Abraham, why? I don't know. Maybe so this conversation could take place in Scripture. So you remember the story of Abraham then, right? What does Abraham do when he realizes, wait a minute, you're going to wipe out this city? And Lot's living there. He's living there. And so Abraham does the math with God, right? Well, what about if there's 50 righteous people? Then would you save the city? Or maybe 45, or maybe 40. And he literally negotiates with God of heaven to the point of verse 25 where he he says this, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, like far be it from you, God, and notice this next sentence, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now remember this, Abraham doesn't have the Old Testament, he doesn't have the written word of God He certainly doesn't have the New Testament that's written. He has no written revelation, and yet he had experienced God in such a way that he would recognize God as someone who is just. He's fair. And so he's saying, God, wait a minute. I know what you're like. Okay, I realize that there's all this evil in the city. But there's these people that I love. They're righteous. It wouldn't be, it would not be um, fair for you to kill them. 
And so I'm going to appeal to your justice, God. And we know that God, in his justice, spares Lot. He gets out of the city. And so God is just. We see it revealed in the Psalms. Psalm 97.2 says, Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This is just one of many scriptures where God declares and where the scripture declares that God is just. The foundation, think about that, the foundation of his throne, the basis of how God deals with everything is God will never give anyone a raw deal. It's what his justice is all about. No one gets a raw deal in in God's economy through God's justice. A.W. Tozer says it this way, justice embodies the idea of moral equity. Judgment is the application of equity to moral situations and may be favorable or unfavorable according to whether the one under examination has been equitable or inequitable in heart and conduct. Justice isn't something that God possesses, right? This is a character quality of who he is. Justice, it's not, an, he's not, it's not the external standard that God upholds. It's who God is. This is God is just. It's part of his essence, his nature, his character. And all of the commands that we see in Scripture of justice, they reflect the character of God. And there's something interesting that you need to know about justice. And here's what J.I. Packer says. I think he says it. God's work as judge is part of its witness to his character. It shows us also that the heart of the justice which expresses God's nature is retribution. The rendering to men what they have deserved, for this is the essence of the judge's task. To reward good with good and evil with evil is natural to God. So when the New Testament speaks of the final judgment, it always represents it in terms of retribution. God will judge all men, it says, according to their works. Retribution. Think about that. I think that quote's in your notes. Maybe circle that. The heart of justice which expresses God's nature is retribution. You know what retribution is? You do this, therefore, you get this for doing it. Now, we might think of retribution as, as payback, right? Retribution is, this is I'm gonna, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. That's not at the heart of God. That's not God's heart. Think about the rest of his character, the rest of his nature. But at the heart of God's justice is the fact that everyone gets what they really deserve. Everyone. Right? Even though you live in a fallen world, right now where sin mars our concept and timing of justice, God wants you to know that He is just, He is fair, that as you trust Him, In the big picture, when we think about God's sovereignty, His all-knowing, His all-wise, you will never, ever be treated unfairly. And you can trust God for that. So how how does God reveal His justice to us? 
I can see some of you are going, what are you talking about? Like, whoa, wait a minute. We're getting there. We're getting there. Hold on. Hold on, sister. How does God reveal himself to us? How does he reveal his justice to us? First of all is this, through the natural order. Um, Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may, may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now listen to this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power, His divine nature. Think about all the attributes of God that we've looked at already. His goodness, His kindness, His his compassionate heart, but also His holiness, His wisdom, His sovereignty. All of those things have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Within nature is written this intrinsic sense of right and wrong. Think about it. When you complain in the workplace, you know, people don't want to be around you. You start to just complain and nag and blah, blah, blah. People don't want to be around you. Why don't people want to be around negative people? Because there's just this natural thing. It's like, man, that's just wrong. I don't want to be around that. It's it's there, right? Look at, if you, if you study anthropology and you start to look at all the tribes, any place at all in the world, they're going to have a list of rules in their culture. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to take another man's wife. The rules might change, but people have this internal sense of what ought and right, what is right and what is wrong. There, the world itself is communicating you to you that there's a sense of accountability for what we do. Think about it this way. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. You heard the phrase, what goes around comes around, right? Where'd that phrase come from? It's, it's there. Or think about the idea of you reap what you sow. Well, that comes right out of the scriptures. Or think about the idea of, of karma, right? Where does that come? Well, you did this, therefore that's karma for you. Through the natural order, justice is being revealed. Um, And it's not only being revealed through what is happening around us and the way that we react to it, but it's also being revealed to us on the inside. There's a sense of justice in the human heart. And so God reveals his justice to us through human nature, or through, through nature, and he also reveals his justice to us through the human heart. In Romans chapter 2, just a little bit further from Romans 1, it says this, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. God has put on the human heart, totally apart from Scripture, a sense of right and wrong, a sense of conscience that bears witness to what's right and wrong. Everybody knows by what they see 
that there is a day of judgment. Everyone knows by what God has placed inside your heart that there's going to be a day of judgment. Acts 28, remember the story. Remember the story of Paul in Acts 28? So Paul is shipwrecked, right? He ends up on this island. These tribal people who are not Christians, pagan people. And so remember the story? So they're out gathering some wood for a fire. Paul reaches in, Paul reaches in to grab some sticks. Um, and, and suddenly, um, he's, bitten by, he's bitten by a viper. Remember that? Remember that story from Scripture? Here's what it says in verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brush, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the, by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, Listen, this man must be a murderer, for, th- for though he escaped from the sea, here's our word, justice has not allowed him to live. Notice that last phrase there. These are pagan people. Where'd they get that idea? Justice has not allowed him to live. I mean, all the guy's doing is gathering a little bit of wood. He's trying to help out. He's trying to put some wood on the fire. The flame comes up, the viper bites him. What's in their thinking? Cause effect. Bad things happen to who? Bad people. And so in their logic, well, it's pretty clear. This viper's doing this, justice is served. Must be a bad man. He must be an evil man, even though he made it through the, through the sea. But notice what happens next. Listen to this. All right, here we go. And so it goes on. So Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. The people would have expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after walking around for a long time and seeing that nothing unusual has happened to him, guess what? What did they do? They changed their minds. And now, Paul goes from being a bad guy, they're like, they're bowing down to him, they're going, whoa, this guy must be a god. It's consistent, isn't it? The human heart reveals justice. Bad things happen to bad people. Nothing happens. You know what? He must be a god because good things happen to good people. You see the logic there? There's something in our hearts, even apart from the revelation of Scripture, that tells us that there is justice. And guess what? If there's justice, then there must be a judge. You can't have a sense of justice without having a judge. And so God reveals his justice through nature. He reveals his justice through the human heart. But he also reveals his justice through his role as judge. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. Notice this phrase, the judge of all men. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect. C.S. Lewis um, was a great, um, well, he was an agnostic atheist, but who became one of the greatest apologists. 
Here's what he says when he describes how he eventually came to believe in God and to embrace the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about this sense of ought and should in mere Christianity that, that tells the human heart and that the ought that tells the human heart and all people of all cultures, of all backgrounds, that this is right and this is wrong. Um, and even though we know this is right, no matter where we place the rule, none of us uh, can keep even the rules that we place. Listen to how he says it. He says, these then are two points that I want to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. You think that's true? That we ought to behave in a certain way and we can't really get rid of it? Do you believe that? Secondly, that they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe that we live in, which is fallen. We know right and wrong, but we live in a fallen world marred by sin. And so inside of a fallen world that doesn't appear fair, Lewis is saying that there's, there is this sense, this idea of justice, and therefore there's a judge. And our inability to do what we know we ought is the foundation for thinking rightly about yourself, the universe, and God. Now think about this for a minute. God doesn't allow us to freely live in our sin. Think about that for a second. <laughs> what if God just, we've, we've talked about this before, what if God just took his, his sense of justice took his hands off of the universe that we lived in. And so there's a sense where God's justice, even in a fallen world, is holding us, is, is holding us back from just falling all the way into sin, destroying, destruction. There's a sense where we're being held back by the moral law that's been written on our hearts. 2 Timothy 4.8 should be an encouragement for those who have not yet, who have not, who don't receive what they deserve here. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for their appearing. What? There's a crown of righteousness that the judge of the earth is going to bestow on all who long for his appearing, all who put their faith and their trust in him. I don't deserve that. God knows my heart. He knows what's in my mind. And then if you want to know the role of Jesus in judgment, read John 5, 22. It says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. We don't really want all of God's justice. <laughs> we don't want it right now. We want the next way that God has revealed His justice to us. And that's through the cross. We're getting there. We made it. The cross is the greatest demonstration 
of God's justice. Romans 3, verse 25 says, God presented him as a sacrifice for us through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate what? His justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the problem of sin, the problem of being and living in a fallen world needed to be atoned for, needed to be covered. And God did that, and he demonstrates his justice through the Lord Jesus Christ. He left sins committed before Christ, before the cross, unpunished. But God is just, and God demonstrated his justice at the cross. His justice, that he might be just, and he might be the one who justifies. God is consistent in his character. So consistent in his character that the standard for access to him, which is to be fair and to be just, what his holiness demanded, his love provided. And what you need to understand is this, is that the cross is God's justice in action. God's not going to wink at your sin or my sin and say, you know what? I'm the God of the universe. I get to decide. I can change whatever I want. And so you know what? I'm just going to say that sin is okay. Now, that's the culture that we live in. That's the message that we're getting from our culture. God is not saying that. God's grace and His mercy and His love are not saying that. They're not saying that sin is okay. Sin is not okay. Sin must be paid for. Every one of your sins has to be paid for. And so you know what God does for us? God places his standard even on his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our solution to our relationship with God is 100% holiness and righteousness. God is holy. God is just. And the only way that we can stand before him is to be made 100% holy and 100% righteous. Not 99.9%. Even Billy Graham needed God's justice at the cross. All of us are scoring lower than 100% on this test. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the reason why Jesus Christ came for you. Fully God and fully man. It could only be the death of God that could pay the price that only man could die. And so Jesus comes born of a virgin, fully man, fully God, without confusion. The Messiah comes, and when he hangs upon the cross, he becomes the payment for your sin. This is what 1 Peter says it this way. It says in 1 Peter 3.8.10, 
18. For Christ also died for our sins once for all. Listen to this. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. In your outlines, this is beautiful little picture. I'm sure you've seen it before, right? It's this beautiful picture of this chasm that's been painted. Man on one side, deep ravine, sin at the bottom of the ravine, and God on the other side. I've used this, out, this illustration many times in explaining the gospel to my children. So think about this, and if you have, if you have, your, if you have a pen or something, write over the man part of that, unjust. Man is unjust. Man is sinful. Now right on the other side of that, or right, right in the middle of that, over the cross, right, just. Jesus is just. There was no sin found in him. And right over God, the justifier. And notice something then in this picture. That the cross is covering sin. What Jesus did for you, he died for your sins on the cross. The just Christ for the unjust, me and you, that we might be brought to God the Father. God's justice being demonstrated at the cross. And that's why it's about grace. That's why the Christian life, it's not about your performance. That's why you can't earn God's favor. And that's why the justice of God allows you, when you understand it, to begin to plot, to begin to deeply embrace and appreciate the love of God. Man, if we just got the justice of God without God's love, whew, ow, we would be in a world of hurt. Folks, we live by the grace of God. God satisfied his justice at the cross through Jesus Christ. Does that mean, though, that everyone gets this blanket? Oh, I love you, you know. Yes, God loves you. He gave you a choice. He gave you a choice to put your faith and your trust in Him and in His in His system of justice. If you bow your knee and, and submit yourself to the cross, then I want you to hear the, the final way that God reveals His justice to us. God reveals His justice through the promise of eternal retribution. You see, His justice even in a fallen world, is revealed through the natural order. It's revealed through our human hearts. It's revealed through his role as judge. It's revealed through the cross. But finally, the promise of eternal retribution, it's revealed through the consequences for our sin. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because there's a promise of judgment that's coming. In Revelation chapter 20, there is a promise of judgment. There's a judgment seat of Christ that all of us will stand before. There's a judgment for believers, and there's a judgment for unbelievers. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15 this morning. I assume, I'm assuming that most of you have heard this teaching before, but no. <laughs> I don't think that we have. I was talking in the coffee shop to some folks, and when I was explaining that God, that God judges believers, they, they just were like, what are you talking about? I've just never heard this. Or I've never heard it maybe in this way, or I just thought, God, we all got the same thing. So here we are. The context is this. Paul is, they're arguing, the church in Corinth is arguing over who's better and who, who did this in my life and who did this in my life. And, and people are kind of doing some man worship kind of stuff that still happens today. Like, oh, I'm going to worship Paulos and I've got a Paul. And so Paul just makes it clear. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't about man worship here. No. Remember the statement Paul Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God's the one that makes things grow. And then we get to, to this verse 9. It says this, for we are fellow workers. That's what Paul's saying about Apollos and himself. And he's saying, you are God's field. You're God's building. Now listen to this. By the grace God has given me, look at this in your scripture, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. It's a command. He's making a command here in the scripture. Be careful how you build. Now listen to this. This is where the cross comes in, in, in verse 11. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one that's already been laid, and that which is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you stand before God in eternity at the judgment seat of Christ, the foundation is Christ. Christ alone. There is no other way. That's why you're, if you're trying to get to heaven on your performance, good luck. You're going to spend time at the other judgment seat. So Christ is the foundation. By grace, through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and we're not talking now about salvation here anymore. Christ is the foundation. He is our salvation. He is our righteousness. But then in verse 12, he says this, if any man builds on this foundation, so now he's talking about us building on this foundation of Christ in our lives, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. What's the day? It's the day of judgment. It's the time when we will, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, also called the Bema seat in Scripture, and God will, will give an account to God for our lives and what we did. It goes on here and it says, His work will be shown for what it is in the day, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. What? Wait a minute. There's rewards? Well, I thought we all got the same thing. Doesn't everybody get a participant trophy in this situation? Yeah. You're there. And here's the participant trophy part of it in verse 15. It says, if it's burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. See, this is not an issue of salvation here. 
It's an issue of what we build on that foundation. But only as one escaping through the flames. Folks, how you live the Christian life matters to God. You might look at it and you go, well, man, why does this guy get to go to heaven? You know how he's lived? Well, he might be there by the grace of God and the skin of his teeth. Well, by the grace of God, all grace. <laughs> Paul is, what Paul is describing here is how we live the Christian life. There's this partnership that happens with the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's salvation. You get the Spirit of God. But then we surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. There's a reason that one of our values as a church is spirit-led living. Why do we have that value as a church? Because God calls us to live by the Spirit and not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And as believers in Jesus Christ, you're going to stand before the Bema seat. And he's going to say, you know what? I have a few questions for you. I gave you this amount of time on earth. I gave you these spiritual gifts. I gave you this ability to make this much money. I gave you these talents. I gave you these experience. And now I want to do a little inventory here. What did you do with what I gave you? He's going to hold us accountable. We're his stewards. It wasn't your time. It's my time that I entrusted to you. And so now we're going to have an evaluation. If you use your time, you use your talents, you use your treasures with the right motives to honor me during this life, guess what? I have something for you. I have rewards that you're going to receive, and you're going to enjoy me forever and ever. And you know what? Those things in your life that don't quite measure up, burn up. You don't hear a lot of teaching about this because it seems like it's a performance thing then, right? It makes the Christian life a performance. It's not living to try to get a reward. We live out of the motivation because we love God. But know this, if you struggle with the justice of God here on this earth and you struggle with the questions of why do bad things happen to good people and I'm a good person and why are bad things happening to me, take rest in this and know that in the end, God is, is perfectly just and fair. Beyond fair, maybe. Because none of us should spend eternity with Him beyond fair because of Christ. Now, there's also another judgment um, in Hebrews 9.27. Um, there is retribution for unbelievers. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, For it's appointed unto men and wants to die, and after this, the judgment. You know what? A lot of times, churches, and they don't even talk about this anymore, churches are afraid to talk about hell. Hell is not a bad topic to be talking about in the church. <laughs> Think about 
God so honors the dignity of your choices that you make that he's created a place for people who don't want to be with him. You don't want to be with God? You don't want to be with me? You don't have to. You don't have to be around me forever. And somehow there's this universal idea that everyone's going to make it to heaven. And maybe like even we're going to be sitting there sipping tea with, with Hitler. What's Hitler going to get? Exactly what he deserves. Justice. And the crazy thing is, if Hitler gave his life to Christ in the end, he's still going to be sipping tea. And that's a difficult thing to fathom. There's two types of people in the world. Only two types of people. There are people who say to God, thy will be done. I want to be with you forever. And the second group of people that says, thy will be done. You get your way forever and ever. To whom God says that, thy will be done. You get your way forever and ever. I don't know where you're at this morning. Um, Maybe you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know this, that God is a just God. He's going to be fair. And if you don't have a way to cover your sin in the end, you're going to get exactly what you deserve. God will execute His justice. But if you don't want fair when it comes to this, this is what you need. You need the grace and the mercy of God. And so I would encourage you to fall on your knees before God and receive his forgiveness and the work of Christ that he did on your behalf when he became your atonement and he bridged that gap between you and God at the cross. Maybe you've never seen it quite clearly that way or you've never thought about the ramifications of eternity. Let today be the day of salvation, the day that you humble yourself before God and receive his grace and his mercy. And you say, God, I need you. God, will you come into my life, God? I don't want to sit at the judgment seat of unbelievers. So how do we respond to God's justice? We've already said it. Choose to embrace Jesus today as your Savior rather than meet him as your righteous judge later. Number one. Number two is this. Refuse to take revenge when when treated unjustly here, knowing God, and God alone is the one who judges. God will be fair. God will mete out judgment. And number three is this, ponder deeply this. Ponder this, folks. Man, if you love the grace and the mercy of God, ponder your time, ponder your talent, ponder your treasures in in view of the judgment seat of Christ 
and the injustices that are taking place in our world. Invest yourself eternally. That's why I sign my stuff at the church. Think eternally. Don't get caught in the parentheses and the here and now and just living for yourself right here and now. Live for something greater than yourselves. And the beautiful thing is that Scripture says that God, the righteous judge, He's going to say to us on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. I look forward to that day when God says that in eternity. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words, God, and um, challenge our hearts, Lord. Um, help us to see, God, that... Um, Sometimes we can just look around and, and, and kind of be the judge of everything else that's happening and, and complain and be negative, God, and think, well, why is this and this and this? And um, Father, help us to see things rightly, God. Help us to trust, God, in who you are, God. Um, you're just. You're fair. Lord, help us to look rightly God at ourselves and who we are. And Father, I pray this morning, God, that we would once again, God, fall, God, on your grace, fall on your mercy, God, that was given to us at the cross. Lord, without the cross, God, we have no hope, no hope of eternal life. No hope of the joy that's God that's coming from being in your presence in, in eternity and on the other side of Revelation 20, Lord. Um, and so, God, come to speak to us right now, God, about who we are and who you are, God, even as we worship you, Lord. Um, come speak to our hearts, God.